Hello one and all and welcome back to another episode of the AirPod. Uh, slightly earlier this week because I just couldn't hold out any longer to jump into everything that's happened since the last episode. Uh, it has been quite a week. I think it was about 24 hours after we went live uh, with the latest episode last week. Uh, that Much of it speculating about what would happen next. Harry and Meghan uh, made official what their next steps would be, stepping back completely from all royal work moving forward. This came after days of discussions uh, between all of the royal households and the Queen herself uh, to really figure out what is best for the couple and how that fits in with what the royal family wanted to do moving forward. You know, Harry and Meghan had made it very clear that they wanted this uh, working model that allowed them to step into their royal shoes and take on duties in the name of the Queen and travel in the name of the Queen and also conduct their own engagements uh, privately, well, not privately, but away from the royal family. A lot of it tied into their Sussex Royal Foundation charity. In the end, uh, from many, many conversations I've had with different Palisades, it was not logistically possible. So I'll be diving into all of this, uh, really unpacking what this means for the couple moving forwards and sort of looking into what their life is like now. It's obviously been quite a dramatic week. Uh, the couple have had to already contend with uh, the paparazzi out in Canada. Legal warnings have already been issued. Uh, so there hasn't really been a quiet moment for the couple. Harry very recently returned to Meghan and Archie um, after dealing with business over here and carrying out a few engagements. Uh, I'll be joined by my guest this week, Lainey Louis over in Canada, a CTV presenter and host and writer, uh, gossip blogger extraordinaire. Uh, she's very much engaged in the scene over in Canada and I'm really keen to get her opinion on some of the things because Harry and Meghan are very much part of the Canadian scene now and will be uh, certainly for some time moving forwards. But it has been a busy week for the royal family who have adopted a sort of business-as-usual approach to things. We've seen Prince Charles head out to the World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, where he met Greta Thunberg for the first time. Uh, sort of old and new generations of uh, eco-warriors uh, coming together. It was a very exciting meeting. And uh, he also gave an interview with CNN uh, with Max Foster, a friend of the Royal Beat. Uh, he spoke about his lifelong commitment to protecting the environment and his fears for the climate crisis uh, and how they could impact his own grandchildren. And I think, you know, Charles was one of these sort of original pioneers when it came to talking about climate change. You know, almost 50 years ago, we first heard him talking about uh, the danger of plastics and uh, environmental pollution. And here we are now uh, handling this crisis, finally. Um, but it's taken a long time to get to this point. Um, and it's great to see him still very much engaged in that. You know, he is where oh, Harry and William got a lot of their inspiration for their sort of passion for this subject from and speaking of passion we saw the Duchess of Cambridge launch uh, a new survey here in the UK this week to help improve early childhood she's made it very clear that her passion uh, where she really wants to focus her work is in uh, early childhood development and so this comes after the palace eight years 
of uh, research and uh, meetings and working with different children's charities and organizations. They've now collaborated with a number of organizations in the UK to launch a, a five big question survey uh, that will basically be asking Britons uh, all over the country for their opinion on what influences development and what period of childhood is most important for children's happiness. And so this came, this launch came with a big bang. Uh, Kate uh, kicked off a 24-hour tour of the UK visiting Birmingham, Cardiff and Surrey believe there was a visit to London planned uh, that was unfortunately shelved due to weather conditions uh, it was sort of touch and go obviously moving around uh, that many places in 24 hours is not uh, easy um, hats off to everyone that was uh, involved in pulling that together but yes it started with a visit on Tuesday to the think tank in Birmingham which was a science museum and she met children there and visited a baby sensory class um, in Cardiff the following day uh, to hear about the support the parents receiving and uh, following that she was in Surrey um, at uh, one of the prisons to speak with female prisoners that had taken part in a rehabilitation program so really looking at every element uh, of uh, early childhood development and also the effects of things that happen within those uh, uh, key early years um, that affect you later on in life hence the visit to the women's prison I received a lot of tweets asking me why that took place uh, so this scheme is going to run for a uh, for about a month uh, you can visit the website which i believe is five big uk. that's five with the number five um, it is open to uh, british nationals only uh, but if you want to take a look and learn a little bit more about it i do recommend checking that out uh, but as i mentioned at the start of the show this week we're really diving into the big Harry and Meghan news that they have officially stepped back from royal duties with the blessing, with the backing of the Queen and senior members of the royal family. This was a decision uh, that no one took lightly. Uh, it, long nights uh, were were had at the uh, at Buckingham Palace meetings taking place uh, between all of the aides and courtiers. And I think a uh, really tense time for everyone. Harry obviously stayed behind to see all of this through. So to help guide us through all of this, um, I want to bring in my guest, Lainey Louie, over in Canada, who I believe you're currently sat in a voiceover booth uh, <laughs> uh, to, to gr- grab a few moments of talking with us. So thanks for joining. Hi, Omid. How are you? It's good to hear from you. Uh, this story has no doubt taken up a lot of the agenda for you guys at, at the network, I'd imagine. Yes, I work out of a broadcast building where several new shows are taped um, and they go live every day. I work on two or three shows here. And so there are televisions all around this building and a ticker that goes across each TV. And I mean, you can't go probably a minute or two without the ticker talking about Meghan and Harry and some kind of update over the last two weeks because, of course, the situation has been in flux and there's always updates. So, yes, it is a top story. And before before we jump into sort of the moment where it became official that they were no longer working members of the royal family, I just want to ask you, what is the kind of mood out there at the moment? I mean, how is everyone feeling about this? Well, I have to say, initially, there was a lot of excitement. You know, we are... We're a big country, but we're not like a huge country in terms of population. And there are a lot of people who still think of Canada as this, you know, 
quaint little place, right? So for all of the world's eyeballs to have been on us, you know, around Christmas, because that's when everybody found out that they were spending the holidays um, in Vancouver Island out on the west coast of Canada, it was pretty exciting. And at the time, it was just thought that, oh, this is where they went to spend their holidays. Then they stayed. And then there were follow-up reports about maybe staying permanently. Mm. And so that has made, that has sort of put Canada in the spotlight in a way um, that has been a little bit starry. You know, we're not that often in the spotlight for a glamorous, for, you know, for the arrival and maybe the permanency of this glamorous couple. So it has been a topic of, of conversation. People are talking about it. And certainly in mostly positive ways, but there, yeah, there has been some criticism and some debate, but yeah, it's been an interesting experience. I feel like it's a bit of a full circle moment for Megan, because when she left Toronto and finished on Suits, uh, Canada almost uh, sort of kept her as one of their own for a while when she was over here. And I I always sensed that there was a bit of pride that she had, you know, spent so long living in Canada, spoke so highly of it, and then sort of came here to the UK to start this new life. And now she's back there, and that's become her permanent base. I I agree. I think at the beginning when we found out that uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle were dating, it was... It was really um, cute that Toronto was their secret hiding place of their love. (laughs) And it was fun to imagine that their romance blossomed while they were hidden away from the world in Toronto, for sure. Of course, you would appreciate that it was much easier in the first few months of their relationship, of course, to hide that relationship because no one was looking for it uh, in Toronto and with Meghan Markle. Um, And I think it should be said, and this is not by any stretch meant to be shady, but when she lived in Toronto during her time on Suits, she did not have the same profile she has now. Like she was not, she was not up on the A-list. If if we're going to, and I and I feel like celebrities in general in Canada kind of get an easier ride as it is there people leave them alone I feel like you guys are a lot more chill when it comes to celebrity sightings in public for the most part we are pretty chill especially in Toronto Toronto is a huge city there are a lot of productions happening here all the time a lot of international um, events that happen so yeah Toronto is pretty chill I would say that and I don't blame them on Vancouver Island probably a little bit less chill you know, um, (laughs) (laughs) and I don't blame them. I think that, of course, you know, your, your town isn't often in the news. Um, and then literally the most famous couple in the world is staying there, attracting the world's media and paparazzi. I wouldn't be chill either. Right. So, um, Mm. but in Toronto, yeah, we are pretty chill about major celebrities. And certainly at the time when Harry and Meghan started dating, given that nobody knew about it. And then even when people did know about it, it was still kind of like, oh, that's cool. Great. Like, Mm. yeah. Oh, no, the subway's not working. That kind of thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> I want to go back to last week, you know, the last episode of this podcast that came out. Uh, I was speculating about what would happen next because we hadn't actually had news from the palace. And I think about 24 hours later, I was pulling off the side of a uh, highway uh, at full speed, trying to find somewhere to park up to join a conference call with the palace so we could be read these statements from the Queen and from Buckingham Palace for the Sussexes um, about what happened in the end uh, with this sort of half in half out proposition that the couple put forward and in the end it was uh, completely out uh, they are you know officially out of royal duties certainly for the foreseeable future and you know you've you've covered this in depth sort of the entire uh, build up to this and and I, I've always enjoyed your analysis but did it come as a surprise to you when it was announced that they would be completely out of the kind of working royal picture it did come as a surprise to me in the sense that um they had updated the website they had stated that they wanted to continue to serve and they're such valuable assets i thought and i think Mm. many would agree in terms of modernizing the monarchy and representing a face of 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 the monarchy around the world i was surprised that this wasn't possible. And yet at the same time, as much as this is a cop-out answer, I also wasn't surprised in the sense of this is an institution that experiences change very slowly and in many ways is resistant to change. Mm. And yeah, once the decision came down where they were like, no, we need to keep it this way, it was almost like a, oh yeah, right, of course, this is who we're dealing with. Yeah, it's it, you know I look back on on the whole situation. And I I find it such a shame that actually for the, for all the reasons that the couple was celebrated at the beginning because they represented change and they were, were modernizing the monarchy. In the end, it was that resistance to change and modernization that sort of prevented them from remaining uh, there as working rules in any kind of capacity. And I wonder if there's now. Well, hopefully, will there be a period of reflection in the institution moving forward? Because I remember when Meghan first sort of was sort of came into the into the kind of caring wings of certain palisades uh, when she was dating Harry. And a lot of people would often talk to me about how the institution has changed. We've learned from lessons from the past. It doesn't look like that was necessarily the case in the long run. I I totally agree with you. And yet I also remember and focus on the words that have been thrown around from the royals themselves over the last couple of weeks. And those words are complicated and complex. Mm. And so I definitely I agree with you. I do think it feels like there hasn't been as much progress made as they could. And yet this is it's so hard to modernize and change something that is so vast and has so many roots and is so institutionalized. And what I mean by that is, you know, for them to have allowed Harry and Meghan to do this half in half out thing, it would have been precedent setting, meaning that you would have established um, an ability for other people and other royals to ask for the same thing. And I wonder whether or not that was a factor where they were like, hey, listen, if we let Harry and Meghan do this, we're putting down on paper and opening the door for other people to ask to do the same. And then we're going to have, you know, everybody going out 
and making deals and striking partnerships and living more independent lives. And what does that look like? Mm. And I'm sorry to get controversial so early in our chat, but my mind immediately goes to Prince Andrew. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we want to give him carte blanche to have this precedent to do what he wants because judgment calls have been in question. How about that? Diplomatically correct or a diplomatic a diplomatic way of, 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 of putting that. <laughs> you know, it was a, a few days later we heard from Harry himself when he gave uh, a very sort of powerful speech at a Centre Barley fundraiser in London. Um, I, d I think a lot of people were expecting to hear something from him that evening because he would be addressing everyone that was there to sort of gather for this fundraising event. Uh, but I don't think anyone expected him to be quite so open or so revealing about um, the process that they had sort of been part of. I think it was quite clear from the words that he spoke that they themselves were quite keen to have stayed in and that it was everyone else that prevented it from happening. What were your thoughts when you heard that speech for the first time? My, my first thoughts were, I think we need to take what he's saying at face value. There's been a lot of noise about whether or not the Sussexes were scheming and what they really wanted and how they blindsided this person and that person. But here was someone who was quite candid in his words. Um, and he used the word sadness. He said there was no other option. And I think he was putting on the table that this was not the outcome that he had proposed, but it was the outcome that he would accept and move forward with. So I took that at face value, number one. That was the first thing I thought. And then I really... I really focused on this one sentence that he said about, and he he was thanking the audience, the people who were gathered in that room at Centabale at the gala. He thanked them for giving him an education on what it means to live or mm. living. I'm paraphrasing. And that really stayed with me because, of course, as privileged and as exclusive as a life that he has lived, there are for sure many things that are not open to William and Harry and Royals to just experience. You know, they can't decide on a Friday afternoon to take a weekend bender trip to with their friends, right? Yeah. The prom, <laughs> um, <laughs> something like a prom, something like, I don't know, just going grocery shopping. Um, we don't know if it's easy for them to online shop. Um, these are really super, these are really superficial examples, but I think that, you know, that image of a little boy's face, um, from the other side of a window looking out from a castle is really apt here. And mm. so what will living a new kind of living without walls look like for Harry? It, it really touched me that he can begin to imagine it and is thanking people for allowing him to hope to even imagine it. And then later on, after I sat with it for a while, I was like, why does this sound familiar? And then I, I asked that question on my website and someone sent to me, it sounds familiar because Princess Diana 
actually said the same thing almost word for word in 1993 when she was addressing Headway. And I pulled up the speech that she gave. It happened to be a speech that she too was giving, announcing her withdrawal from public life. And she too thanked the people at Headway for teaching her, giving her an education on what it means to live. And I truly believe that Harry was borrowing from his own mother in expressing mm. his thoughts about how he'd like to live. What do you think? You know, I think in some ways there was some sadness that evening with that speech, because in some ways it felt like a farewell speech. I mean, look, Sussexes aren't going anywhere. It's very clear that they're going to remain engaged in work here, across the Commonwealth, in Africa. But I think the way in which this has been reported and just the mood that comes with it, and even the way people within the households are speaking about this, it does feel like they have left. And there is some sadness that comes with that. And I certainly sense that hearing Harry's speech, it felt uh, finite. Did you expect that, uh, were you surprised by the announcement that they would be leaving uh, royal life or at least no longer working royals? Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, I, I want to go back a, a little bit before that because there was so much talk about how the royal family were blindsided by this news. And I think a lot of the reporting was about the statement itself that Harry and Meghan had put out and their SussexRoyal.com web proposition that they had made available for everyone. But I think there was also talk as if they had somehow pulled the wool over the eyes of members of the royal family in terms of what these plans were. And I put a report out at, at that time, sort of basically saying that that's not the case. It's actually long been since the end of the summer that the couple had really been speaking very openly about this. So I was very happy to see that when the Queen put her statement out um, on the Saturday that she addressed the fact that these discussions had been taking place for months. I think the final decision about stepping back permanently and completely, that was the bit that surprised me because I knew how desperate the couple were to find a way to remain part of the working fold. And in the end, it just wouldn't happen. And I, you you and I have spoken about this before, but I think that the speed at which things move at the palace, that resistance to change is ultimately what prevented them from remaining in. And I feel for them in a way because they're now being treated as if they've deserted the royal family, that they created this situation. But actually it was a couple that strived um, to make something work where they could have their own happiness, but they could also can continue to serve the monarchy because let's be honest, they are probably the best thing that's happened to the royal family in a very long time the royal watcher has changed with harry and Meghan's arrival it's now younger more diverse more engaged uh, more um, open to conversations about environmental welfare or gender diversity and i think losing harry and Meghan from the working picture also means you lose some of those voices that supported them as well. And in the long run, I think that's going to be quite damaging. Yeah, I totally agree with you about the diversity. And um, the comparison that I've been making is between the royal family and, let's say, a corporation. And over the last few years, we've heard many conversations from companies about their, for example, the makeup of their board of directors. And 
often how there isn't any female representation or people of color. Mm. And for a company to be successful in representing their workforce and being able to relate to their customer base, companies are trying to or they should be trying to diversify their board of directors. Now, when you have a board of directors and you want to add new people and, you know, add new voices, there's a recruitment strategy. You can go out, you can talk to people, you can hire but you can't do that with a family like the royal family. It's an institution. It almost functions like a corporation, right? The senior or the senior royals are the board of directors. The queen is the board chair. Uh, but you can't go and like recruit a family member. You can't put out a notice saying we're hiring. But what happened for them is that one of their members went out into the world and fell in love organically with someone who represents a different kind of person and changed the makeup of their board. And it was exciting for a lot of people. They yeah. were finally like this institution, the board of directors of the British Royal family looks a little bit more diverse and may have a different thing to say. And now it feels like that's gone. And so how in the future is the royal family going to sort of be more inclusive and more diverse? Um, they might be the least diverse institution now in the world. And I don't know if that is going to fare well for them moving forward in terms of continuity and maintaining their relevance. Absolutely. I think it, it goes back to this, you know, as I was saying, the Royal Watcher really has changed in the last two and a half years. Certainly, I've noticed it um, on the engagements I've been on, on the, all the tours that I've been on. Uh, they are younger. They are from much more diverse. And I think that that change was so exciting to everyone. And, you know, I think in the future, historians are going to look back at this, at this seismic moment for the Royal Family and, and, and realise how almost much of a failure it was for them because they were so close to moving in the right direction. And now I think that how, how does one move forward without the star players that they needed to sort of be seen as this modern institution? I agree. And their star players now really are Prince William and Kate. Hmm. Who, and... I, I have to say, uh, they have massive popularity in the UK. I would oh, say yes. that for the last couple of years, certainly in the UK, the popularity of the Cambridges has often been greater than that of the Sussexes. I think the Sussexes always had quite um, polarised opinion here in the UK but on the global stage I think Harry and Meghan really flew the flag for the royal family their popularity exceeded anything that we've ever seen with any other member of the royal family and I think to thrive as an institution outside of the UK because the Commonwealth is you know 52 countries that is going to be their biggest struggle absolutely and also I think too you know it's a lot of pressure for the Cambridges of course, they're a strong couple, their family is strong, but also life is long, right? This job is forever, and you don't really get a holiday from it. I mean, mm. they can take a holiday, and they can say no public engagements, but you can't take a holiday from your identity. So going forward, I also think what's going to be interesting is seeing what it's like for the Cambridges to be on their own and not have... Um, a support 
system from their peers. I'm not talking about their aunts and uncles. You know, I'm talking about support from someone of their generation. Mm. Who will that be? Um, and it, you know, we had all hoped that it, they would be a four pack, right? And yeah. that not only would it be such a great visual, the four of them together, and those visuals have been amazing and so sad that we don't get much of that anymore and we probably won't. But internally, that was supposed to act as a strengthener for all of them. Mm. And this bond um, that would prop up, especially Prince William, to have this ally, like his general was his brother, right? Yeah. Um, so that's going to be really interesting to to observe going forward in the in the coming months and years. Mm, we had a bit of a preview of that on Monday when uh, William and Kate hosted a reception at Buckingham Palace for the UK Africa Investment Summit. Um, and it was uh, four heads of state and government, their spouses and partners and whatnot. Um, and they were joined by uh, Prince Edward and Countess of Wessex Sophie. And I think... Look, the palace certainly won't confirm this, but I am pretty sure that at some point it was going to be Harry and Meghan that joined the Cambridges for that because mm -hmm. uh, there had already been conversations during the Southern Africa tour about this UK Africa summit. Harry himself attended the summit earlier in the day. He met a number yeah. of different leaders that was this sort of last big engagement in the UK before leaving and ret finally returning back to Canada. But we sort of had a look at this new group of royals and, they, you know, Edward and Sophie are by no means considered young, but they are the next youngest couple above the Cambridges. And I wondered if mm -hmm. that was intentional to bring them together. I, I agree with you. I, I would agree with that speculation that, yes, in the absence of Harry and Meghan, the Wessexes stepped up and they're well-respected, they're lovely they're unimpeachable. I think, though, that in terms of relating, as you said, to the new royal audience, a new generation of people who cares about royals, um, which was brought in by Harry and Meghan, I don't think that Sophie and Edward check those boxes for them. Mm. Um, and it's also a question of generation, even though... Sophie and Edward are not that much older than the Cambridges. It's about language, cultural language. You know what I mean? It's about yeah. where to engage with people on what platforms. The Cambridges have started to get more active um, uh, and more strategic on social media. But that is not where Edward and Sophie live at all. So it is going to be a strange, if this is the new four-pack um, and the new Fab Four, it, it is going to be a strange way of kind of connecting them that felt, un like, unfortunately now, wistfully we say, it seemed more natural when it was Cambridge and Sussex just based on where they were reaching people and their savvy in, in knowing um, how to connect to people and on what terms. Mm. Well, people certainly aren't questioning uh, the Sussexes moving forward. I think we've seen over the last couple of weeks alone, their social media profile has continued to grow. I think they now have more followers than Kensington Royal on Instagram, which is interesting because I think before this happened, they were something like five or 600,000 followers behind. And so the, that support does continue for them. And, and it'll be interesting to see how they sort of 
parlay that into the work that they do next. But speaking of that work, there has been a lot of discussion about how they'll work moving forward. And I think people have gotten very het up about the idea that they may be out there cashing in on the name of the royal family. I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this because for me, I can't see, and I've also spoken with people that are working with them and whatnot, I can't, uh, in a professional capacity, not commercial, I can't see a future in which they're suddenly the faces of Ralph Lauren or uh, launching a perfume or, you know, advertising milk, as we've seen from uh, other uh, non-working <laughs> members of the royal family this week. I, you know, I think the work continues for them as they were before, but obviously they have to get clever in bringing in money. And I wonder if that will be through speaking engagements and um, Harry's series that he's doing with Oprah as as executive producer. I'm sure there's a way to receive a salary for that. But do you, how do you think that they'll they'll navigate this moving forward? Because there is sort of a review period that comes with this, um, stepping out of uh, life as a working royal, I think there is the option to sort of discuss it within the royal family in a year's time. And as much as that's perhaps a chance for them to step back in should they want to, and I don't think they do, it's probably also a chance for if they step out of line for someone to come down on them very hard. I I agree with you that in the short term, I don't think, well, even in the long term, I, we're not going to see milk cartons. Um <laughs> Uh, so, yes, I agree with you in the short term that there are so many speaking engagement opportunities. It's funny that we're talking right now because um, the morning, you know, as we're having this conversation in about two hours, Barack Obama is um, actually supposed to be speaking in Toronto at the convention center. Um, and he's actually come to Toronto, I think, two or three times since his presidency ended because he is such a coveted public speaker, mm. um, conventions and uh, business meetings and um, philanthropic meetings are inviting him to be their speaker. And he's certainly making money on the speaker tour. And definitely Harry and Meghan could model themselves after something like that, in addition to perhaps modeling what the Obamas have done with their production company um, and their deal with Netflix. The Obamas. Um, American Factory has just it's a documentary it's just been nominated for a documentary Oscar so the mm. Obamas are going to the Oscars in a couple of weeks as nominees this is a documentary it's shedding light on a very particular story of um, two cultures coming together in a business setting in America so definitely nothing to be ashamed about um, and so if the Sussexes were to make documentaries like that and have a deal and a partnership I don't think that that would be embarrassing for the royal family, not in the short term. Now, in the long term, I might disagree with you about the whole perfume and Ralph Lauren thing, because I think if it's well executed, I think it could work. And I look to the example of Angelina Jolie, okay, who is um, a UN ambassador. Um, and, of course, we know that she's this world-class beauty and has a deal with uh, Guerlain. Um, and for sure makes a lot of money from it, but she's also taken those ad campaigns and she's promoted them, um, at her reserve, her animal reserve in Africa. And she's also done photo shoots for the products in Cambodia where she's 
managed to link in her work in Cambodia. We know about the film First They Killed My Father that she filmed there. We know she adopted her son Maddox from Cambodia. So she manages to intertwine and interweave her philanthropic work with her commercial work in a way that feels organic. Yeah. And I do think Megan and Harry later, not immediately, have the cleverness to be able to think that through and do the same. So um, I, of course, in the next year, even two, probably not a good idea. But in five years, I don't see why not. I, uh, I think that it's possible in five years. If, if, if done well, and they certainly have the team behind them that could do that. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and that team are, you know, working with the couple sort of day in, day out now. Uh, I think there's a lot of speculation about who is on that team. And I think that we'll probably have a bit more clarity on that as time goes by. But uh, it's safe to say that these are people who have been sort of helping the couple navigate all of this for the past sort of couple of months. And as we know, the website SussexRoyal.com had no um, palace uh, cooperation or anyone even at the palace uh, working on that. That was all handled by uh, the couple and their new team. So this is almost, I, I would imagine there are a group of people who have probably been feverishly uh, planning for this uh, for a long time, even if the couple didn't know that's what they wanted. But they would have been thinking this far ahead and are now keen to sort of wheel out all of these different ideas that they have for them. Before we get into their life in Canada and uh, the issues that the couple have faced uh, recently, this, just this week with the paparazzi issuing a legal warning from the UK law firm, I just want to take a little break uh, and uh, print off that letter because I want to pull up some, some of the elements in there to discuss. It'll be interesting to see how the next few months go because we've seen the couple sort of laying low, uh, I think, life on Vancouver Island is giving them a chance for a little respite and a break from all of this and um, from what I hear we're not going to see them rushing out to work yet but we did see Megan uh, attend a couple of uh, private uh, charity visits um, out in Victoria which was interesting I did you think it would happen so soon I I didn't in the sense of I didn't know, like, none of us thought that all of this would be wrapped up so soon. You know what I mean? Like, mm. we heard about the summit um, or the meeting at Sandringham. Sandringham. Uh, <laughs> I love that you corrected <laughs> yourself a summit, because I've often been reminded by people working in the palace not to call it a summit. It was a meeting. Yes. Um, I think summit right. just sounded very nice. <laughs> it, it worked so for the headlines, that's for <laughs> yeah. sure. I think that the... You know, I, between the meeting at Sandringham and the Queen's announcement that a deal had been made, I think it was five days. Mm. And I think all of that, the speed at which it all happened, and then, of course, as soon as the, the announcement came that, um, that everything was happening um, during that week, seeing Meghan step out and, and seeing them still kind of out there and fulfilling their duties and engaging with people, even though there was so much uncertainty, I think that's what was surprising. Because typically, you know, when there is this drama, you mm. you hide, or at least you keep a low profile, as they say. And she clearly was like, no, I, I'm still going to go out there and do my thing when, uh, I'm still going to go out there and do my thing when, when I'm, when I'm waiting on this answer about my future. 
And I'd imagine that that, t- that time waiting for Harry would have felt like a, a, a year uh, as everything happened over here. It would have probably felt very quiet and slow waiting, waiting on Vancouver Island. Oh, for sure. And I, I also think that's going to be interesting as people continue to speculate where they will settle down for sure. Um, whether or not the quietness of Vancouver Island will be a benefit or actually a key to what what their decision is going to be. Like, mm. too quiet? You know, too remote? Too away from things? Well, I'm you still s- not convinced it's Canada. No, I. you know, it's interesting. I think that Canada was the perfect sort of halfway point uh, for if they were to remain sort of s- semi in the House of Windsor as working royals, and it fit perfectly because it was still part of the Commonwealth. Obviously, that's not the case anymore. Uh, The couple are no longer tied to the royal family in any professional capacity, and so they are free to live wherever they want. And I would imagine that this sudden sort of change of events, because I don't think this was the conclusion that they particularly wanted... Um, or at least this iteration of it, they're now probably back to the drawing board and thinking maybe further afield. But uh, going back to your comments about it being quiet on Vancouver Island, it has been, but at the same time, we've also probably seen uh, more of Meghan uh, in sort of her private life than we have done in months because we had those paparazzi photos uh, that were on the front page of The Sun and I think ran on the Mail Online this week of Megan out on a hike with her two dogs and with Archie, uh, looking very happy, I will add. I think there was a happiness that uh, you could see in her that maybe hadn't seen for some time. Uh, but behind the scenes, I don't think people were happy about that because we, of course, had this legal warning that was issued to news desks uh, across the UK um, about the harassment that came with these photos. So do you think that that's now a problem that they're going to face moving forwards? Because uh, you and I have spoken about this before, but as far as I'm aware, there isn't a huge paparazzi culture in Canada. There isn't. Um, There are some photographers, for sure, no doubt, but not to the numbers uh, not to the numbers in the that we see in the UK and in the US. And also remember, they're they're in a place where they're the only story on Vancouver Island. It's mm. not that they're the biggest heat score; they're the only heat score. <laughs> so when you are a pop and you happen to travel from wherever you're from, because a lot of the photographers who are camped out in Vancouver Island right now come from elsewhere. They have flown in from the UK. They've flown in from the US. Many of them are not local. Mm. And so for them, they only have one target. And there's only so many places to go in, in Vancouver Island where they would be. They all know now where they're staying. So because of Vancouver Island, ironically, it was easier to pap them. Whereas, you know, this might be an unpopular thing to say for Canadians, and I'm Canadian, so it's not like I really want to say this, but Los Angeles might be better for them in terms of not getting papped every day. Because you know what? They're not the only heat score in L.A. There are, yes, more paparazzi, but there are also more celebrities Mm. who are distracting the paparazzi. And also in Hollywood, there is already an established 
tried and true way of avoiding paparazzi. There are there is assistance and resources you can have and get back. Right, because when was the last time we saw pictures of Jennifer Aniston out grocery shopping? It, there it doesn't you go. Happen. There you go. You can disappear if you know the right routes and the right game to play in L.A. Um, and I actually think that if Harry and Meghan were in L.A., they'd be able to move around with a, less of a spotlight because of the fact that the spotlight is so um, dissipated to so many other stars in L.A. But in Vancouver or in British Columbia, literally all the spotlight has been turned over to Vancouver Island. And I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that that happened. Mm. And this letter that was sent out by their law firm, it re- refers to them being tracked by paparazzi permanently, um, yeah. who are camped outside their house 24-7. Uh, it speaks of uh, attempts uh, to photograph them inside their home using long-range lenses, um, safety concerns about the paparazzi and their driving and the risk to the life that they may pose. Um, and they also spoke about the photos themselves that were taken of Megan with Archie and the dogs. They speak of a photographer hiding in the bushes and spying on her uh, I was curious to know what the privacy laws are in Canada and I realised that there was a slightly different set of privacy laws in British Columbia uh, that speak of uh, sort of harassment in any form being uh, an illegal offence and so I wonder if this is something in, in a way that the couple do have that to their advantage being out there uh, compared to anywhere else because they they are able to rely on a law in perhaps the way that they couldn't in Los Angeles where you're sort of fair game you know if Pat wants to chase you down the road it happens and there's very little the authorities ever do about it. There are stricter paparazzi and privacy rules in Canada for sure in comparison to many places in the US as you said maybe even the UK I don't know I don't think that they're as Uh, stringent as, for example, France. I think, Mm. uh, you know, we had seen how just how just how tight uh, those those laws are in France with celebrities and uh, Will and Kate. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a few years ago with those uh, sunbathing photos with Kate. Mm -hmm. And so in Canada, yeah, in comparison to France, definitely not as tight, but for sure it offers a certain amount of protection. That said, I'm not sure it matters in the short term because even though that legal notice was sent out the pictures were splashed everywhere already Mm. you can't get them back so it's already happened that people know where they're living uh people have traveled from wherever they're from to go and stake them out and follow them around and even the people in town while, of course, they're not going to want to drive Harry and Meghan away, even the people in town are buzzing. If Meghan goes to the grocery store, people are going to tweet, you know, because there's nothing like there's no other celebrity to look at. Yeah. And it becomes that much more obvious. Everybody, it's a smaller town. I'm not saying it's one of those things where everybody's on top of each other and you know each other's business, but kind of like, you know, who belongs and you don't, you know, who doesn't, there's not really any anonymity. Mm. Um, so I don't know if any of these privacy laws will actually help achieve the goal that they want to achieve, which is essentially to disappear. Even if the paps are told to keep a certain distance away and not to follow them. The fact of the matter is we all know where they are. 
Yeah, absolutely. And- you know, the, the dust is finally beginning to settle on this story, I feel. The last couple of weeks, I think, for anyone covering it, uh, working uh, in any of the royal households or members of the royal family, I think everyone has found it quite draining to cover it. It has been quite emotionally draining uh it does feel like things are starting to slow down now obviously there's a lot that still needs to be figured out these conversations about security are still very much taking headlines up in the papers here and i see over in canada as well but it does seem like the couple are able to start moving forward what do you think those next steps will be for them I really do think that the location, location, location is the first priority. Mm. Um, There are so many rumors about them looking at property in Vancouver proper, not just Vancouver Island. Everybody's wondering about Toronto, whether or not it's on the table. As you mentioned, they're now opened up to, because they're not going to be half and half royal and civilian and independent, they can now live anywhere. They don't have to live in the Commonwealth. So I really do believe Los Angeles is a possibility. Um, and But I'm also curious as to whether or not November 2020, so about eight months from now or 10 months from now, whether or not that's a factor. You know, there have been rumors about whether or not the election in America, and that would be president donald trump seeking re-election in the white house is going to be a factor and i've talked to some people who knew megan before harry and certainly um a little bit after harry and what her views are on the person who runs the country that where she was born and i do think that there's a little bit of weight to them, both of them wanting to avoid the United States in the short term and seeing what happens pending the outcome of that election. So I'm thinking the next six months might kind of still be a little bit of an in-between while they see what happens. Mm. And it would also give time for, I think, dust to settle within the royal family. They're going to be quite careful not to make any major moves uh, that will ruffle feathers. You know, they've only just sort of been i don't want to say given their freedom because they were entitled to to take it and they would have taken it uh, however this you know ended but i think they are being very mindful of things going on over here partly because we are in a review period but partly because their staff are still based here in the uk and there's still so much to be worked out and i think that they are being very mindful about how how they're sort of taking that next move. So I think that the two of them together are really going to be thinking about what it is that you just said, because they are raising a child and so much of this move and the the life changes that they've made are for Archie's future. Um, and, and, and I think that to move somewhere where the future is unknown is probably not an option. Yeah, I, I do. I do think, and listen, they wouldn't be the only ones, right? The whole world is watching, will be watching what happens in twenty twenty in November 2020. So, um, but, and it does have a great bearing on many people's lives from companies to civilians to people making personal choices about their identity and where they want to be. So, of course, it stands to be that Harry and Meghan, it must have, it must have come up, come on. 
Yeah, absolutely. I I think you know this is also this is a couple that I think are driven by their desire to make the world a better place. They've laid their agenda out loud and clear on the website, and they want to improve communities and they want to bring in diversity and inclusion and all the rest of it. So to move to a country where the president is everything that goes against that doesn't really fit fit in with brand Sussex Royal. If it is Sussex Royal, obviously, that's still up for debate. When do you think that'll be sorted out? Well, as far as I'm aware, the conversations are still taking place. I would love to know who it is that seem, who it is that may have an issue with the name, because, yes, the couple are no longer working members of the royal family. But as some people seem to forget, they haven't resigned being royal altogether. They are still the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Uh, they are still HRH, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. They choose not to use that HRH uh, signage um, because they're no longer working members of the royal family. But they are still members of the royal family, thus them still being royal. So I don't really see what the big hoo-ha about them using the Sussex royal branding is. Well, isn't Harry still legitimately sixth in line to the throne? Yes, this doesn't change the line of succession whatsoever. Right, so he's still, like, you know he can't he can't quit that that's a fact yeah it would i it would take some major moves to change anything on that level and i don't think that's in the couple's interest at all uh, this has really been changing their working circumstances i mean if we want to really simplify it they left a job and they've started a new one it's as simple as that it doesn't change who their family are well i mean as far as i'm concerned if you're number 6 in line to the throne of england you're royal <laughs> exactly <laughs> i don't know what the debate is <laughs> they, they need to bring you into those meetings laney <laughs> i mean it seems really basic oh who is he oh like he's number six i don't know that seems pretty high to me it's it's prince louis and then harry that's pretty close i mean it's not close but it's not far away exactly well, listen, you and I are going to have to get together and talk about this more because, you know, Canada is very much part of the picture for them right now. I think we're going to see them taking on some work out there in the weeks or months to come. It's going to be really exciting. I, you know, I think for all, all of us that have uh, covered their journey and uh, particularly their work, I'm excited to see what happens next. Um, I'm sure some trips trips over there will, will be in the works. I Yeah, I'm very curious to see how this plays out as you said this is this is monumental it's like a it's a groundbreaking story like and i'm and so i I, i'm really curious to see how the axis will shift after this Mm. well lenny thank you it's been a pleasure as always um where can everyone find you on social media i know you're sort of spread all over the place out there laneygossip.com all right well thank you again And thank you to everyone who's joined the show this week uh, and joined in last week as well. Uh, we had an insane amount of uh, requests and questions sent over on social media. I hope that we have answered as much of those as we can this week. Uh, do tweet in if there's anything that you want to know, any burning questions that you have. Just use the hashtag the AirPod. Send it to myself at Scoby. And until the next episode, see you then. <laughs> <laughs>